By now, the story is familiar. Mark Zuckerberg financed the administration of the 2020 elections through the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Eric Holder and an army of Democratic lawyers ensured that liberals would compete on favorable district lines and with favorable voting rules, with no small help from a Philadelphia Union Boston political fixer who was just convicted of fraud. And liberal dark money groups like Arabella Advisors 1630 Fund poured hundreds of millions of dollars from the most prominent liberal political donors, men like George Soros, Hans Jorvis, and Pierre Medire, directly into supporting Democratic campaigns. In all, it makes one wonder if the 2020 elections were, in some sense, rigged. Not coincidentally, Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections, is the title of the book that our guest, the Federalist Senior Editor Molly Hemingway, has just released on the 2020 presidential election and its fallout. Uh, Molly, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got where you are? Well, I've been in journalism for some time now and uh, studied economics in school and then went into reporting and found that I really enjoyed researching and investigating what's going on. And so I've spent many of my recent years investigating kind of complicated stories like the Russia collusion lie, that conspiracy mm-hmm. theory that corporate media and Democrats and the that, that, has, that, that has been that has been redebunked from another source in the past like two weeks, if I recall correctly. Yeah, people are people are acting like recently they've learned it wasn't true. And I'm thinking, well, I've been on this for about five years. So um, I mean, I mean, and, I mean in, in even in terms of like third party debunking, this is like the third or fourth. <laughs> exactly. And with the election story. Oh, and I, and I co-wrote the book on the Kavanaugh confirmation with Carrie Severino, which was also a very complicated story about how the left operates to subvert conservative judicial nominations. And then with this election book, I just did not like the way people were talking about the election after it happened, or even how you weren't allowed to notice that things were very weird with the election. And Mm -hmm. so I just knew I had to research and investigate it myself and interview people. And I'm really glad I did because yes, it's, it's a complex story, but one that really must be understood if we want to have free and fair elections going forward. So, I mean, obviously, the title of your book is rigged, uh, which is a bold statement about a national general election. What on on what are the core events, items, pieces of evidence on which you base that claim? You know, I began thinking about that term being an appropriate way to describe the election before the election. And for me, there were two areas where I really thought that outside interference was harming the integrity of our elections. First was media. And our media went from mere bias, which I think all conservatives are familiar with, going back to like Dwight Eisenhower, you know, complaining about the media. I I, I believe I believe Reed Irvine founded accuracy in media sometime. It was either late 60s, early 70s. Right. So we've had problems for a long time. But in the last five years or so, they just moved from like bad bias into straight up propaganda, you know, inventing fake stories, suppressing real stories that might harm their political allies, you know, even the fakeness of polls. I I was aghast that the Washington Post and ABC put out a poll the week of the 2020 election claiming that Joe Biden would win by 17 points. They didn't believe that. <laughs> Nobody believed that. So why are they putting out, you know, such such fakeness? Uh, so that was one of the ways that I thought was important to look at things. The other being the role that big tech oligarchs play in our elections, deplatforming 
you know, nearly every effective conservative communicator prioritizing left wing stories and narratives and censoring non left wing narratives um, just makes you feel like you're in Soviet Russia, the way that they control information, which I view as a huge threat against the American idea that we all can search for truth. You know, this is embedded mm-hmm. in our First Amendment, freedom of religion, first and foremost, you know, freedom of speech. Freedom well, and, 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 and that's and and it becomes an increasing problem is that sort of more and more of the public square is be, is being privately administered by these companies. I mean, I'm I'm I'll declare my biases. I'm fairly libertarian. I'm you know, I think they have some authority to do what they want. And, you know, I'm I'm very cautious about Section 230, changing Section 230, if only because if you make Twitter, if you make Jack Dorsey liable for what I post on Twitter, Jack Dorsey does not agree with 99 percent of the stuff I post on Twitter and has no intention of defending it. Um, but as more and more, I mean, you see this with Facebook's metaverse, the the idea that that we're going to all interact on you know, wearing VR headsets in 3D and, oh, by the way, you know, we still have Dr. Fauci running around saying that we need to, you know, I mean, Austria declared a national lockdown this afternoon. Uh, you know, are we ever going to lift it if we have if we have the metaverse? And then, oh, by the way, the entire social connections of humanity are going to be mediated by the people who run Facebook. You know, I, I have serious problems with that. <laughs> yeah, it's terrifying. And I, you know, I think many things need to be done to decrease their power because I think they are a threat to the continuation of the republic and that they are more powerful than any government and it's terrifying. But so my point just being rigging to me was already in play before the election. But then I also think it's a good way to describe the changes to election laws and processes that were put together over the course of years prior to the 2020 election to flood the zone with tens of millions of mail-in ballots at the same time that scrutiny of those mail-in ballots or oversight to make sure they're legitimate was eliminated or seriously degraded to make it impossible to know whether the elections were being run, you know, whether votes were tied Mm, to actual mm. voters. And then whether the and whether the ballots were being handled in accordance with law. Uh, yeah. You know, you have these issues with ballot harvesting. Yeah, ballot harvesting or even just, you know, you're supposed to replicate what happens in the privacy of a voting booth when you do mail in balloting and whether or not people followed those procedures, you know, whether they were tied to actual voters, their votes, those votes tended to be counted. Um, that's not a way to ensure that people have trust in elections. And that's not really a partisan issue because there are times when either party might feel that that lack of accountability makes them less likely to trust the outcome. But then what is also in play, what you already talked about, was the $419 million in that tech oligarch's money, Mark Zuckerberg, to overtake government election offices and to use those government election offices to essentially run the Democratic Party's get-out-the-vote operation mostly in blue cities, in swing states. I mean, rigging to me is a perfect word to describe all of Mm. these things. Uh, Well, I mean, you mentioned the 419 that we knew about from Zuckerberg just just today, I believe. New Venture Fund, which is Arabella Advisors' ostensibly charitable arm, uh, they released their their nonprofit tax return for the year, and they kicked in just under $25 million Again, we don't know where that's from. That's essentially dark money 
that they kicked in to CTCL. Well, and there was also just recently the revelation that the other dark money 1630 um, group spent 410 million, I think, on the 2020 election, including some of these same issues like running the get out the vote operations for the Democratic Party. And it's just a staggering amount of money. Um, but when we used to talk about free and fair elections, that actually referred to not having outsiders controlling the outcome like this. Um, and so it's a it's a very serious issue and, and one that voters need to stay focused on if they want to have a republic going forward. I mean, in a, on an earlier episode of the of the podcast, we had William Doyle of Caesar Rodney Election Research Institute on. He did some statistical analysis of the Zuckbucks in Texas and you know, where he sort of drew the distinction between, you know, election campaign, you know, free election campaign speech and what Zuckerberg did was that Zuckerberg, the the, the Zuckerberg CTCL uh, maneuver wasn't about advocacy. It was about administering the actual conduct of the elections. Do you think that that's a, like a useful distinction? Oh, absolutely. I mean, but people might not like the influence of billionaires in politics, but usually what they're doing is funding, you know, campaigns or, you know, helping them with making ads or reaching voters from the campaign. This was crossing that bright red line from campaigns into the actual administration of elections by government officials. We have always had a bright line there so that we can have trust or, you know, we fought to have a bright line there so that we can trust the outcome of election results. And that's that's what was hampered there. It would be like if you were a St. Louis Cardinals fan and the Chicago Cubs were hiring all of the umpires, training them, <laughs> paying them. And then you're playing against them in the in the league, uh, you know, in like a yeah, in the, in the NLCS. And you're and you're having to trust the results, even though you know that they're completely compromised. I mean, it's not something you'd expect in any type of outcome. Mm-hmm. Um. So, but but of course, you know, we 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 focused a lot on this private funding of the election administration, but that. That was far from the only intervention that the big tech oligarchs made in the election that you wrote about. So there were all sorts of things. Basically, they were kind of honest after 2016 that they felt guilty and responsible for Donald Trump winning when the media became hysterical and crazed. Because and, 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 and how and how Trump actually did it was basically he read he or his people read all the gloating that Obama's people did after 2012 and said, we can do that. That's exactly right. And the media loved what Obama did to use tech companies to reach voters. But then when Trump did the same thing, the, they decided- I, I am I am obligated by my boss here to plug, as you did in the book, to plug Sasha Eisenberg's The Victory Lab, which was basically this gloat fest book about how Obama used technology to make Democrats succeed in the 2012 campaign. I referenced that book repeatedly in my book and probably heard about it the same way you did, um, because it was also a way to learn about the great work. Great. I mean that in a neutral sense that Mark Elias has done to fix elections for Democrats going back decades. 
he will argue any side of any issue. He's this powerhouse Democrat lawyer who has used technology to figure out like which votes you ask to be included in a recount and which you don't and how he's used these approaches to I mean he he went so far that was he was he involved in that Iowa race that came down to like 10 votes Absolutely Yeah they they he went so far as to openly threaten to take it to the House of Representatives to get the House of Representatives to seat the Democrat who lost oh, That's he, who Mark Elias is <laughs> They were absolutely planning to do that He was also arguing that voting machines had rigged the game in Claudia Tenney's winning Yes, yes in, in, New, in, New, in New York where they And where he they, dropped he dropped both of those things precisely because I think they realized that the fact that he was arguing that way was helping Republicans with some of their arguments. So they decided it was better to take the victory for the presidential and lose two House races than lose the argument overall. Right. And um, so, yeah, so so. Big tech realizes that its platform is available to someone like and, Donald Trump. And they openly and, state that they're going to do whatever it takes to kind of like make sure it never happens again. And so for them, that means every that mostly means like algorithmic game playing. And here, I think Alan Bakari's book on what Silicon Valley did to control the outcomes of elections is just fascinating. This includes doing a lot of Democratic get out the vote operations, but not for Republicans, you know, figuring out whether a user is left leaning or right leaning and then pushing voting messages to one, but not the other. Um, elevating left wing news sites that push crazy conspiracy theories like the Russia collusion hoax while downplaying people who well, say and it, well, and you have and making rules that are easily gamed by progressives who know what the rules are. So you see this like courier newsroom which is this explicitly propagandistic, you know, one degree of separation from an outright super PAC, uh, putting out these ostensibly local news stories. I'm making air quotes, ostensibly local news stories that are just Democrat talking points. But exactly. that's not political advertising because it's career newsroom. Right. And, um, and all just all sorts of game playing to get effective conservative voices silenced and to elevate left wing viewpoints. And so it's interesting. We talk all about election laws and processes, and those are very, very important, obviously. But they probably pale in terms of actual manipulation of votes to what is done by big tech and big corporate media uh, that are actually kind of psychological and extremely manipulative. And this is before we get into the sort of explicitly crazy things. I mean, the most prominent of which was be, was the absolute embargo on the New York Post's stories about Hunter Biden. So I almost think it goes back to, if you remember when there was a whistleblower, quote unquote whistleblower, not actually a whistleblower, but someone involved in the effort to impeach President Trump the first time. It was an actual person who was deeply involved in something very important. And big tech companies were censoring, in a way totally reminiscent of Soviet Russia, the actual mention of their name. And this included like Rand Paul goes up uh, and mentions his name and puts it on a whiteboard, like on the Senate floor. And these companies would come in and just like erase it before it was allowed to be broadcast. Like sitting senators 
in official speech of the of the you know that should be in the record. Yeah, which 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 is constitutionally privileged from suit in any court in the United States. And they would just censor it like they were Soviet censors. And so by the time the Hunter Biden story comes along, where which is unquestionably relevant, the Biden family business is that foreign oligarchs give money to Biden family members in exchange for something other than anything tangible. Like it's nobody, certainly nobody, not nobody would be paying uh, America's greatest artist, Hunter Biden, uh, the amounts of money that he is reportedly asking for for his art were his last name, not Biden. I think he that is a admits in like a New York Times article about getting an eighty thousand dollar diamond from a Chinese government like allied person. It's unquestionably relevant to American voters what the Biden family business is. And you have a named you have a named individual, unlike the entire Russia hoax, saying that. And, he, and again, this is after this is after four years when. You know, anything that Trump, anything the Trump family did was relevant, which I would say, yes, of course it was. Uh, This is after the 2016 election where the Democrats nominated the former first lady of the United States. You know, this was okay. uh, You know, uh, in 2000, from 2000 to 2008, the president of the United States was the son of the former president of the United States. I mean, the, the families of political officials, the adult families of political officials, are often in the family business. Yeah, and I think I agree that it's always like okay to talk about family members, but particularly so when the business involves proximity to Joe Biden himself. And you have a you have a named person saying he personally talked to Joe Biden about the family business, which was again uh, about access to Joe Biden, and the the media decided that they weren't going to cover it because they were worried that this might affect the outcome of the election. Tech companies came along the side corporate media to join them in this censorship effort. And, you know, the election did come down to 43,000 votes across three states. And when you think about even, you know, even just that one issue, the Hunter Biden issue probably affected. Right, right. It's the the classic. It's the classical. It was close enough that everything mattered. Yes. Um. So uh, before I guess before we get to the end here, uh, is there anything else in particular you'd like to highlight from your book? Well, one thing I find interesting about Mark Elias, this election fixer that the Democrats use, is you know he's very highly funded with an with a collection of left wing groups using him as counsel. You know he's frequently counsel for presidential campaigns, Senate campaigns, um, you know Democratic groups, and he he's the person who orchestrated the 2020 election confusion and chaos. He's the one who pushed to to water down all the election integrity laws that are out there. And he continues to be that person. I find it fascinating that he is also the person who ran the Russia collusion hoax. He's the guy who was as right, yeah, his, his, his former employee, his former employer, Perkins Coie was the cutout that the Clinton campaign used to hire the fusion GPS guys who did all the yeah, weird stuff. And, and he himself was the you know guy who wrote the check to, to fusion GPS to cook up the, the hoax And that one guy would be so involved in damaging the republic in so many ways is just utterly fascinating to me. But he's definitely someone to pay attention to because where he appears, he's not pushing for integrity. He's pushing for, you know, he's pushing for his. Oh, no, I mean, he sues like, you know, he's I I follow the redistricting stuff and he sues every Republican state that puts out anything short of a Democratic gerrymander. And then 
of course, you know, I, Illinois is not going to achieve, achieve his attentions. And when Maryland issues their Democratic gerrymander, my home state, he, they're not going to attract his attentions. He's a Democratic partisan uh, and a partisan of a of a loyalty that is absolute so far as I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's just someone to pay attention to. And also, I think if you don't share his politics, you should think about the amount of money that he controls and the what he's able to do with that and think about whether, you know, your interests should also be supported by legal efforts to push back against some of the damage that he's causing. So in, to, to close, I'm going to give you a, the thesis that I, I mentioned William Doyle of the Caesar Rodney Election Research Institute earlier that um, that was his after he did his mathematical analysis of the Zuck Bucks in Texas. This is what he concluded. The 2020 election wasn't stolen. It was likely bought by one of the world's wealthiest and most powerful men pouring his money through legal loopholes. Would you say that you agree with that statement or would you say that it's more complicated than that? Absolutely. In fact, I think he wrote that for us at the Federalist where we published it. Um, I mean, I do think some of what they did might have been illegal. I always want people to define what they mean, you know, when they say stolen or rigged or whatnot. Um, But the effect of those Zuckerberg bucks was profound. They found those that team of economists found that it affected the Texas margin by 200,000 votes in favor of uh, that. Biden got an additional 200,000 votes. They're also analyzing closer states and finding that it was definitely outcome determinative in some of these states. And so it just it's egregious that they were allowed to enter into our election administration and do this and that it affected the outcome of the election. It wasn't just about the office of the presidency. It's also about control of the Senate. It's about everything that's happening in the country right now um, because of their targeting of blue counties and cities and swing states. All right. Well, once again, I'd like to thank Molly Hemingway of The Federalist for joining us. We will put a link to her book, Rigged, How the Media, Big Tech, and the Democrats Seized Our Elections, in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.